Is there room in God's kingdom for traitors and cowards? Can someone who has stumbled so badly and caused so much harm ever be numbered among God's people? Now, if you remember last week when we looked at verses 1 through 13, we saw how the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul and commissioned them for the work that he had set them apart. And the church at Antioch, now this is Antioch in Syria, uh, apparently there were some 20 cities called Antioch. It was a very popular name. So the Christians in in Antioch of Syria, uh, these Christians sent Barnabas and Saul off to the island of Cyprus. And Barnabas and Saul began at the eastern end of Cyprus, preached their way through the whole island until they reached the city on the west coast, Paphos. And along the way, we saw a glimpse of Paul's very powerful ministry of the word. When a local magician... Now, today when we hear the word magician, we think of uh, uh, people who play cheap tricks. Uh, But for much of human history, magic was part of life. And these were the people who claimed to have very special connection to the spiritual world, who could control with their incantations, with their skills, uh, the spiritual realities around them. And they ran into a magician who opposed the gospel. And Paul spoke to him in the spirit, and this magician was struck with blindness, thus proving the power of God's word. And now uh, we continue to read here that after that, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, which means they sailed due northwest from the western shores of Cyprus, landing what is now the southern end of modern-day Turkey. And almost immediately, they were confronted with a discouraging development. And that brings us to the first point of focus, which is John left them. John left them. Uh, I think we need a little bit of a reminder and a background. If you remember in Acts chapter 12, we read how Herod the king imprisoned the apostle Peter. But during the night, an angel of the Lord came to Peter and set Peter free from the prison. And in verse 12, we read that Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So this is where the believers were gathered praying for Peter. And apparently Mary uh, and John is her son. Mary was a well-known believer who uh, opened up her home for the gathering of the believers. This is a a wonderful Christian home. And a further bit of background, if you uh, remember in Acts chapter 11, In verse 30, we saw that the Christians in Antioch sent famine relief to Judea by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And at the end of chapter 12, in verse 25, we read, uh, 
Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. And then we read, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, why would they bring John, whose other name was Mark? It turns out, as we read in Colossians chapter 4, John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Um, And so this person, John Mark, was a well-known figure. His mother was a a Christian of uh, significance, a devoted believer who opened up her home and no doubt raised up her son to know the Lord. And he was related to one of the uh, chief leaders of the new uh, early church, Barnabas. And when last week we saw chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, when we saw the Antioch Christians sending of Barnabas and Saul to Cyprus, we read in verse 5 that they had John to assist them. Uh, So John came along, and he was helping in the ministry of uh, Barnabas and Saul. And that brings us to our passage today in verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. The circumstances of John's departure become more clear later on in chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, verses 37 through 39, we read that Paul and Barnabas are continuing in their gospel ministry, and Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. You see, John, uh, John had abandoned the gospel ministry and Paul did not trust him. And when Barnabas suggested that, we, that they take a John again, Paul refused. Now, you wonder, why did John abandon the ministry? Why did he turn back? Some scholars surmise it may be the way or the hint is given to us in verse 13. Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions set sail. Now, until now, Barnabas was the unquestioned leader of the group. But this is the point at which leadership shifts from Barnabas to Paul. And so some scholars wonder, did John, who was Barnabas's cousin, did he resent his cousin Barnabas being eclipsed by Paul? Is that why he left them? Or uh, did he simply decide the cost of following Christ was just too much? What's interesting is that this is the journey. They land in Perga and they travel inward to Antioch, Pisidia, which brings them to the region of Galatia. If you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, he mentions how the reason he came to Galatia in the first place was because of a debilitating illness that he suffered. 
And so some scholars surmise that when Paul and Barnabas landed in Perga and Pamphylia, Paul was afflicted with a severe illness. And they sought refuge in the cooler climates and the higher altitude of Antioch of Pisidia. That may be, perhaps, when John decided, this is just too much trouble. I don't want these things to happen to me that are happening to Paul. And maybe that's why he turned back. Now, we cannot be certain, of course, but what is certain is that John forsaking the gospel ministry broke up the partnership between Paul and Barnabas. You know, that was a bond, that was a fellowship that was forged in the fires of affliction and hardship. What the external opposition to the gospel could not accomplish in that no matter how much hardship Barnabas and Paul faced for the sake of the gospel, they remained united. So strong was their bond and fellowship. What the external persecution could not accomplish, John did in his abandonment of the gospel. There arose such sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had to go their separate ways. You know, thankfully, the decisions that you and I make remain contained to our own personal lives, and they don't spread very far. But there are those decisions, there are those events, the consequences of which spread far and wide. And John's abandonment of the gospel ministry was one such decision. And that's why we ask the question, is there room in God's kingdom for traitors and cowards? Can someone who has stumbled so badly and caused so much harm ever be numbered among God's people? And you know, this, this is the wonder and this is the marvel of the gospel. Because we we will read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, toward the end of Paul's life, he writes in verse 11, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So what happened in the intervening years of John Mark abandoning the gospel ministry and toward the end of Paul's life, John is reconciled to Paul, and we find John Mark being Paul's faithful supporter and helper. So John demonstrates the truth and the power of Paul's message to the Jews. Did you notice how this passage that we just read, it ends with verse 38, Paul saying, through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed. So the beauty and the power of Paul's message to the Jews is literally going to be fulfilled in the life of John. He who was a traitor and a coward, someone who had done great harm, will be restored, will be reconciled, and will be numbered among God's people. So that's the first word of encouragement that this passage 
gives us. Secondly, Paul preached. Paul preached. Now note here that Paul and his companions went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And when they did, the rulers of the synagogue sent the word, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And boy, did Paul ever. (laughs) And so Paul stood up and began to preach to them the history of the Jewish people. But it was not a dry lecture. Because you see, church history as Paul understood it was actually the story of God's unfailing grace and it was the story of Israel's constant faithlessness. And those two are the the two main poles of Paul's sermon. God's unfailing grace and Israel's constant Faithfulness, And so Paul begins with the fathers. Then he goes on to Exodus and he talks about the conquest of Canaan. And throughout it all, Paul emphasizes the divine initiative and grace. So verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers. God chose And with uplifted arm, he led them out. God chose the fathers, and God led them out of bondage. Verse 18, he put up with them in the wilderness. Verse 19, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Verse 20, he gave them judges. Verse 21, he gave them Saul. Verse 22, he raised up David to be their king. Do you see what's happening? By and large, all the subjects of the verbs are God. Because all of Israel's proudest moments, they were actually all of God's initiative and God's doing. The highlights of their history You know, they were so proud of who Abraham was. They were so proud of everything they read about, or the good parts at least. But all their most proudest moments, it was God. God gave. God did. God led. God delivered. It's all God's grace. And it was also God who turned Israel's most shameful failures into instruments of his redeeming purpose. You know, it was the patriarchs who out of their jealousy sold Joseph into slavery. But do you remember what Joseph says at the end of Genesis? You meant harm, but God meant good. It was the Israelites who rejected God as their king and asked for a king. In what they did, they sinned against the Lord. Nevertheless, God turned that moment of failure and rebellion and provided for them Saul, who for a time was a deliverer of the nation. 
And now this God of grace, this God of grace has sent to his wayward people, Jesus. So verse 23, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now here we need to just pause for a moment and learn Learn from both the manner and the content of Paul's preaching. His manner was a thorough exegesis of all of Scripture as shedding light on man's sin and God's grace. His content, the content of his sermon, as we see here and elsewhere, the content of his sermon was the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in verse 28, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed and laid him in a tomb. You see, Jesus died a death that he did not deserve so that those that do not deserve life may live. And so Paul continues in verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And verse 37, he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, because Jesus died and because he rose from the dead, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, the crucified and risen Jesus, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin is the heart and the glory of God's revelation. You know, over the years, I've had visitors to our church come and tell me, thank you, Pastor, for the sermon. I feel like I learned something from the Bible. At my church, I don't learn anything. And on the one hand, I said, well, thank you for that very kind remark. And on the other hand, I'm wondering, if you're not learning anything, why do you keep going back? Why are you there? Because, you see, because the heart and the glory of God's revelation to us is the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. No preacher is sent by Christ who strays from that. And so we need to see here, at the beginning of Paul's public ministry, the manner and the content of Paul's preaching, the manner, the opening up of the whole scriptures as it relates to our guilt and the grace of God, the content, Jesus uh, crucified and resurrected for our forgiveness. Paul preached. And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You see, because it is the good news of Jesus Christ that John, John Mark, there is hope for him. Is there room in God's kingdom for traitors and cowards? 
Yes. Because if you pay attention, all of Israel's history bears witness to God's unfailing grace to a faithless people. Can someone who has stumbled so badly and caused so much harm ever be numbered among God's people? Yes. How else could God say in verse 22, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will, except David didn't do all of God's will. So how is it that God praises David? You know, David, he faltered so badly. And his rebellion against the Lord, his sin against the Lord caused tremendous amount of harm to his nation. And yet, David, in his failures, he clung to God's grace. And although David continued to sin in big and small ways, God praises him for his faith. Because the whole direction of his life was a pursuit of God. Yes, he stumbled often. And yet his whole life's direction was not running away from God, but running towards God. And you know, there is, there is glory when we run after God. And if you can run after God, then walk after God. And if you can walk well, well then, limp. And if you can limp, you crawl. Because you see, what matters is the direction of your life. Whether you are approaching God to be near Him, or you are running away from God. And whether you run, whether he has enabled you to walk well, or whether you with pain limp behind them, whether all you can manage is just to crawl, making very slow progress, because your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you cling to God's grace, the God of grace will praise you. That's the wonder, that's the beauty of the gospel message. Now, sometimes it, it takes us a while to see that. <laughs> it takes us a while to see that Jesus is worthy of pursuit. So hear this. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. God's grace has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you show us how people who have stumbled and failed are redeemed. 
how there is grace, there is hope in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for us. And so we rejoice, for we too often stumble and fail, and we lose hope and we despair. But I pray, O God, that you would renew in the hearts of your people in this room the unfading hope of glory that they may know and understand and rejoice and celebrate that when they turn to the Lord of grace, they will be received and that you count them now as your sons and daughters. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.